Good morning. This morning, Pastor Tom has decided in February, January, that he should go to Wisconsin to speak to a group of pastors. And so he and Lisa are there this morning. And this past fall, we had the incredible honor of being at a couple conferences with Santee's baby. And it was at those conferences that Pastor Tom said that he would love to have you come and speak to the congregation here at Alive. And so we are so honored to have you. Santis is the director of multi-ethnic ministries for the Westland Church, which means he serves 30 districts and 1,600 churches. He's also the teaching pastor at a church in Greensboro, the dad of four girls and one boy. Um, and we are so honored to have him. We're going to start by praying for him before he speaks this morning. Jesus, we just thank you so much for the body of Christ. This morning we gather in different places all around the world to worship you, to bring you glory. We pray for Pastor Tom and Lisa this morning as they minister to pastors and wives. And God, we just thank you for bringing Santis to us. Pray that you would fill him with your words and that our hearts would be open. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. Hey, it is a joy uh, to be in Central. Uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to be able to share uh, in this context. I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Tom and the incredible team here. Uh, at Alive and all the things that you're doing in this area. I heard about you uh, long before uh, I was able to come. Uh, I also just want to uh, welcome uh, the chapel and uh, the Pleasant View campus. Uh, it's exciting to be able to uh, worship in many locations. Amen? One church, many locations. But, you know, one of the things that, uh, if, as you notice, the, uh, the series we've been in is something called uh, You Are Here. And if you've been with us, you know we've been going through uh, several weeks. The first week was a reality check, right? Um, this is where you are. The second week was about faith, uh, really beginning to understand uh, this belief that God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he promises uh, to do. And then last week, we talked about a repent, and we defined that as uh, rethinking how we think about everything, not just some things, but everything. And re repentance also is described uh, as a total change uh, of direction. Uh, if we are going the wrong way, it's about making a 180 uh, and heading toward God the, the right way. Today, we're going to talk about another topic. Our, our word is reconciliation, uh, where we'll be talking about reconciling people to God and reconciling people to people. So to get us started, there's a story I want to share. Uh, years ago, I was in youth ministry, and I came home from youth group, and I uh, was in my driveway talking to a, a friend of mine, and two young men walked by, and, you know, we kind of dap it up, you know what I'm saying? And uh, they keep rolling. They go down the street. It's getting dark. It's dusk. And all of a sudden, we hear a scream. And it's not just some ordinary scream. It is a, ah! And uh, we, I tell my friend to get in the road and turn on his bright lights, and he turns on his bright lights, and, 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 and we look down the road, and these guys are jumping in the road, and there's this mass in the road, and we can't figure out what it is. Turn on your bright lights. We drive down the road a little bit, and it's a big snake. And I tell him, you know, why don't you run over it? And he's like, man, they, they say those things crawl up under your car. I'm not running over that. He's like, man, you are no help. And so I go down, and I, I notice my Boy Scout lens starts to come in, and it is a copperhead. 
and that's a poisonous snake. And it's not just a, you know, small copperhead. It is a big copperhead. And so I jump into protection mode and I run back to my garage and, and I, I grab um, a two-headed hoe, a uh, garden utensil, and I grab a, a can uh, of gas and I run back out to the road and I realized I can't do anything with this. And by this time, people are starting to gather around the snake. And I guess they had called people on their cell phones or whatever. And so I run back to my house the second time. I grab a lighter, you know, because I remember they respond to heat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so I get back out there and I start dousing the road with gas. And then all of a sudden, I light the gas. <laughs> Big flame. And, and the flame comes on the grass. And when the flame comes on the grass the snake comes on the grass where I am and starts following me on the grass. I jump back into the road, and, and this, this little boy says, get him, Mr. Preacher, get him. And so I take that two-headed hoe, uh, garden utensil, and I come down, ah, and I missed. And that copperhead says, and that little boy said, get him, Mr. Preacher, get him. And I think he knew what I knew. Either the snake is going to get me or I'm going to get the snake, but somebody's about to get God. Come on, somebody say amen. And so I got one shot. It's like Eminem, y'all. I got one shot. Ah! And I get him right across the neck. And the same thing that happened there happened here. There is a delayed response where you're supposed to celebrate <laughs> the fact that I didn't get bit. You know, I think the, the fun was over. The excitement was over. I think they wanted there to be a little bit more excitement, maybe me get bit, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, people started to disperse. I disposed of the snake. Thank God I didn't burn down my neighborhood. And I get back to my house. And uh, long story short, like what I, I didn't tell you is the second time I went to my house, I went to my front room and I looked out and I was like, you know what? I'm not Crocodile Dundee. I grew up in the hood. I don't know a lot about snakes. Somebody else is better equipped at this than me, right? And, uh, and so when I get back to my house, God says something to me I'll never forget. This is what I say to you as we start this message. I was this close to running from what God had built me to run towards. I was this close out of fear, out of uncertainty, running from what I had been built to run towards, to protect, to guard, to be there for my community. And I think sometimes instead of uh, running towards the chaos, not creating chaos, but running towards the chaos to bring peace, to bring hope, I think sometimes there's a temptation to run away from it. And so over the course of this message, you may find yourself with the temptation of running from this word, running from the realities of reconciliation. But I believe God has uniquely wired the church to not run from this, but to run towards it. Come on, somebody say amen. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles or your mobile devices to Ephesians chapter 2, um, Ephesians, as you turn there, Ephesians, let me say, does not address uh, the myriad of conflicts in the church. It's a different kind of book. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is the writer, reminds us of who we are in, somebody shout in. Now, I know I'm Wesleyan now. I haven't always been Wesleyan. I grew up Baptocostal, and so I need you to talk back to me. Somebody shout in. Yeah, he talks about our, who we are in Christ, and it gives us really some practical things that we should do as the body of Christ. 
Paul is writing to a church planted in a port city, a metropolitan progressive area called Ephesus. Unfortunately, it is full of idol worship. It is full of promiscuity. But he sees this place as a potential for a great harvest. He reminds us that as people of God, we are not just saved from something, but we are saved for something. I believe uh, as a community of faith, as a live uh, Wesleyan church, we are called to be bridge builders uh, in a region full of disparities and gaps and people groups. You have the saved and the unsaved. You have the documented and the undocumented. You have those who believe in uh, Black Lives Matter and those who believe in All Lives Matter. You have the educated and uneducated. You have those who stand and those who kneel at the national anthem. You have young and old, rich and poor, Democrat and Republican, and dare I say, you have those who cheer for Clemson and those who cheer for South Carolina. Come on, say amen, somebody. We're going to pray for everybody, right? But seriously, as a community, we have a responsibility to bring people together. No matter your background or your current reality, a few things remain true. There's one problem, sin. There's one solution, Jesus. There's one hope, Jesus' resurrection and second coming. There's one mission to make and multiply disciples. And there's one vehicle, and that vehicle, my brothers and sisters, is love. So what does God, what does God, the master builder of our lives and his son, the chief cornerstone of the church, have to say to us as a community in this season? If you go with me to verse 11 in chapter 2, it says this. It says, therefore, remember. Somebody shout remember. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth have and call uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Somebody shout, remember. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners. Don't you hear those words? Foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, hmm, and without God, hmm, in the world. But now, somebody shout, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So if I were to use a thought or a subject for today, it would simply be this, from strangers to family. From strangers to family. Let's pray. Father, we know the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word stands forever. Speak into this moment. Um, Open us all up to what you want to say and do and give us the courage to respond in obedience. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray that everybody shout amen. Amen. Uh, In 1999, I went to a conference. It was called Manpower Conference. It was in D.C. and it was led by a guy by the name of uh, T.D. Jakes. And I was so excited. I was so excited uh, to go to this conference. And uh, I get there. It's a Saturday morning. And I'm, I'm really pumped about the speaker. I got my notepad. I got my Bible ready. You know, and, and the whole time uh, of the message, there's this guy behind me who is just loud. Uh, he's not saying anything bad. He's not being negative. But he's saying, preach it, brother. Tell it like it is, brother. You on fire, brother. And, you know, I come from a call and response environment, you can probably tell, <laughs> you know, where you're supposed to help the preacher, you know, like you're going to help me this morning, right? But, but after about 30 minutes when that's right in your ear, you know, it's, it's a little distracting. 
And so at the end of the message, the guy says to everybody, you know what? I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to pray. And I'm thinking real spiritual. I'm going to turn to my left. I'm going to turn to my, left, my right. Uh, I'm going to turn find somebody in front of me. I am not looking behind me, right? And I turn, and nobody else is, is ready because everybody else got somebody else. And I'm like, man, come on, God. Are you serious? And so I reluctantly turn around to this guy. He was like, me and you. Are you serious? And so I grab hands with this brother. He starts praying. I'm I'm really not praying because, you know, I'm like, God, when is this going to be over? And he prays and he he prays a powerful prayer. And he says, amen. I say, amen. I'm like, thank God that's done. And I turn back around and I start feeling conviction. I shouldn't have treated this brother in Christ like that. And so all of a sudden he starts tapping me on the shoulder. He's like, hey, 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 bro. I feel like we're supposed to pray again. I'm like, okay. All right, so I turn back around, and I, and I grab hands with his brother. I really start praying this time. He's praying, and I'm praying. And, and I make a long story short, have you ever had a moment where you felt like the presence of God filled the room? Have you ever had a moment where God just showed up, and, and I started weeping? It felt like time stood still, and, and this, guy, this brother says some things to me and speaks into my life in a way I can't humanly describe right now, but it was one of those moments with God. But I was this close to missing it because of the package. I was this close to missing it because it was coming through a stranger. The the story doesn't end there. When I turn back around, I sit down. He says, you know what, man? Here's my business card. I feel like we're supposed to stay in touch with each other. And come to find out, me and this brother have the same last name. (laughs) As we start talking about our families, we come to find out we are actually distant cousins who had never met before. From strangers to family. Uh, In this passage, there are basically two groups of people. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. Jews were told in the law of Moses to not have any dealings with Gentiles. Gentiles were outsiders, while Jews were insiders. In Genesis 12, we see the blessing of Abraham, the father of the faith. But in Genesis 17, we hear the details about circumcision, which was this physical sign of a covenant with God's people. Here's the bad news. Somebody shout bad news. Most, if not all of us in the room, would be considered Gentiles. Why? Because we have no connection to our uh, any Jewish heritage or being Hebrew. Jesus was clear, even in John 4 and 22, when he says to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says to her, salvation is of the Jews. Gentiles had no covenant. Gentiles had no promise. They and we were far from God and were without hope. That's the bad news. Verse 13 gives us some good news. But now, somebody shout, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, I, I hope you got a neighbor close to you because uh, we're going to get real comfortable with each other. I want you to high-five your neighbor and say, but now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you got the right neighbor. Turn to somebody else, high-five them, and tell them, but now. <laughs> yeah, 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 but now, but now. Hell, hell would have had a party had it not been for verse 13, but 
now. Some of you are like me, and you've come out of bad choices, bad relationships, and bad environments, but now. Yet some of you have come through bad addictions and bad social circles and maybe even bad health, but now. Is there anybody in here who's excited that you can say you got a but now? Yeah, 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 but now. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for bringing me out. God, thank you for not leaving me in my mess. God, thank you for protecting me from things seen and unseen. But now, some of you may have graduated magna cum laude or summa cum laude, but there are a few people in the room who just graduated Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being there. I love this quote by Tim Keller that captures uh, Jesus' love for us. He says, Jesus sees me as is, accepts me as is, loves me as is, saves me as is, yet by his grace never leaves me as is. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. And so my first point to you, if you don't mind, is we have to recognize our position. Somebody shout position. So here in verse 13, Paul tells us about our position in Christ. It's tempting in our Western world to focus on the condition of the believer, uh, what you have, how you feel, and what you're going through. Now, it's not that those things are important, but Paul celebrates the position in Christ of every believer. Now, this is not about happiness. This is about holiness. This is not about temporal things, but about eternal things. This is not about surface frivolous stuff, but it's about what really matters. Your condition might change, but let's start celebrating what the enemy can't shake. (laughs) Let's start celebrating what the enemy can't touch. Your position has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Somebody shout blood. I know the song says there's power in the name of Jesus, but there's also power in the blood of Jesus. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. Somebody shout one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Out of the two, thus making peace, and in one, somebody shout one, body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So here we see that Jesus' intent was always to make the two groups one, the two enemies one, the two strangers one. But he does so by destroying the dividing wall of hostility. We'll call that in our second point opposition. Somebody say opposition. Um, Not that long ago, I was uh, 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 sharing with a friend of mine some of the things that God was doing, and he invited me in that moment to come to his church to do a youth retreat. And I said, man, yeah, I got you, you know, you know, whatever you need. And so about a week out, you know, I um, reach out for him, just kind of follow up, making sure we're on the same page, making sure I'm understanding context and what he's looking for. And he says to me, he said, oh, man, I forgot to tell you, the retreat is actually a hoedown. I said, a ho what? He said, it's actually 
a hoedown. I had never been to a hoedown before. I'm from the hood. And so I was like, started typing up what a hoedown is. I didn't even spell it right the first time. I'm like, ooh, what's that? And so I'm trying to look for a hoedown. And I finally find it. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's, that's a hoedown? And I was like, man, you sure? I don't know if you got the right person. He's like, oh, man, I've, I've heard you speak before. You'll be fine. I was like, oh, man, I don't know about this. You know, oh, hold down me and hold down. I don't have no cowboy boots, no cow. And so I'm t- I take some of my students with me like I normally do when I'm going somewhere to, to minister. And, and we're riding down there. It's snowing. And I'm thinking, surely this thing is going to get canceled. You know, it's going to get canceled. <laughs> we're going to be able to go home. And I asked them, I said, y'all ever been to a hoedown? And they're like, nah, none of us have been to a hoedown. I was like, we can all check that off the bucket list, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, we get down to the hoedown and the park parking lot is full. I'm like, okay, now we got to do this. And so we walk over to the door and I start hearing the music. It's country music. (laughs) And we get to the door and people got on hats and bandanas and big belt buckles and and cowboy boots and they out there dancing. I'm like, what have I got myself into? And so I start looking around the room. Is there anybody in the room that looks like me? Is a person of color, is there anybody that looks like me? And there were two of us. And I brought the other one. I mean, it was just, oh, man. And so I'm out there before long. Let me ask you, how many of y'all ever been to a hoedown before? Anybody? Do they play the cha-cha side, the, the Cupid shuffle and electric slide at the hoedowns that you go to? I, I think they did that because I was there. But anyway, anyway, anyway. I get out there before long. I'm out there dancing too. Getting it in with the people. Long story short, I preach a simple message about God's grace, and 20 students give their life to Christ. 20 students. Yeah, that's a good place for praise God. Now, why do I tell you that? Because it had nothing to do with me. Because if I could be honest, there was a part of me that was like, I don't really know if I'm supposed to be here. I don't really know if they're going to connect with me. I don't know if we're going to be able to relate. And what what happened in that moment was there was opposition. Sometimes the opposition is not always external. Sometimes the opposition is internal. I had to deal with my own junk. I had to deal with my own mess. And as we get deeper into this message, talking about reconciliation, at some point you're going to have to deal with the opposition outside of you, our history, stuff that you had nothing to do with, our history, our culture, the divisiveness all around us, but also at some point, you're going to have to deal with the stuff inside of you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Opposition. Opposition is central to this conversation. As a community, we have to understand that there will always be things out there trying to distract us, trying to detour us, trying to, dare I say, destroy us. And if we walk with God, there will always be opposition. The enemy will work to erect walls, walls of hostility, walls you're going to have to climb over, walls sometimes you're going to have to dig under, walls sometimes you're going to have to go around, and walls, bless God, sometimes you're just going to have to kick down in the name of Jesus. But to fully understand the context of this passage, you have to go back to Jesus's day and note that he's actually referencing the Jewish temple and the four courts had dividing walls between them. There were the court of priests, there was the court of Israelites, there was the court of women, and then there was the court of Gentiles. This image shows you that there were these different parts of the temple. Somebody shout temple. This was the place of worship. The temple had become an institutionalized venue of segregation. Let me say that again. The temple 
had become an institutionalized venue of segregation, the temple. In my opinion, there are at least two bastions of institutionalized segregation that are still alive today, prisons and churches. Hmm. The institutionalized segregation then in the temple is not too far removed from what we see happening today in our churches. Did you know that over 100 years ago it was said and then repeated in the 60s by Dr. King that 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in our nation. Unfortunately, in 2018, my brothers and sisters, this remains true. Over 85% of our churches are monoethnic, where we worship with people who look like us, who think like us, who vote like us. My brothers and sisters, this passage suggests that that should not be so. If preaching the gospel was all we had to do, this would have already happened, which says to me there requires something more. There has to be intentionality. There has to be a passion for this. There have to be culturally intelligent leaders. And this passage seems to suggest that Christ died to tear down those walls. Now, to be honest, there are some valid reasons for the walls. Here's just one example. Did you know that in 1787, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones had the audacity to pray on their knees in a whites-only section of a Methodist church in Philadelphia? White Christians were so enraged by what they had done, and they didn't even let them finish praying, but they picked them up and carried them out of the church because they would not go up to pray in the Negro section. Weeks later, some black Christians were so hurt by what they had experienced that they ended up buying a blacksmith shop and there they started what we know now as the African Methodist Episcopal Church. It must be frustrating at times to be God and watch us preach about love from segregated uh, pulpits to segregated pews when he died to break down the walls of hostility. It must be frustrating at times to be God and watch us ask for what he's already given us the ability to do to walk in his racially reconciled finished work must be frustrating at times to be God now I'm not saying it's easy but now it's possible as a faith community, we refuse to be a place that erects walls that Jesus came to abolish. As a faith community, we do not reject who Jesus died to save. As a faith community, we seek to tear down the walls instead of trying to build them. The problem, the problem is that with these walls is that they not only keep people out, but they keep us trapped on the inside as well. As a faith community, we want to not only talk about racial reconciliation, but more importantly, do the work of reconciliation in this community. As a faith community, we, see the, we don't see the church as an escape from a dark world, but we see that we are called to engage it with salt and light as we seek the peace and the prosperity of our city. Today, the walls are not just in the Jewish temple, but they are racial walls. They are gender walls. They are generational walls. They are orientation and gender identity walls. They are socioeconomic walls. They are denominational walls, linguistic walls. And dare I say, there are some political 
walls. Isn't it interesting? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gives them power to be his witnesses, and he tells them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They're here, they're near, they're far and hard places. But it's not until Acts 8 and 1 that they actually go. If the truth be told, they didn't go because they were so spiritual and because they were so obedient, but they left because of what happens in Acts 7. Persecution breaks out when Stephen or Stephen is martyred. Will it take persecution? Will it take trouble for us to be obedient to God and his mandate? God, don't let me miss you in this season. Don't let me wait. Don't let me have the paralysis of analysis, but help me to sense your presence in this season and be what you talk about in 2 Corinthians 5, where you help me to be an ambassador with the ministry of the word we're talking about today, reconciliation. Now, let me just say, I've been at this for about 20 years, but I still want to say to you, I'm not an expert on this by any means. Some of you in this room may have way more experience than I do. I'm simply asking you as a community to join us. Uh, This is something that we're really talking about more and more in our denomination because it is central to the gospel. It is not the gospel, but it is central to the gospel. And so I'm asking you to join with us on this journey as a community. It is a journey of discovery. It is a journey where some of your biases get challenged. It is a journey where you have to face the beautiful part of our history as a nation and as the church, but you'll also have to face the ugly parts of our history as a church and as a nation. I believe God wants more from us, and I believe God wants more for us. Let's be honest. It's awkward. Come on, say amen. Yeah, yeah, it's awkward. It is extremely uncomfortable, but you know what? The cross wasn't comfortable. You know what? It's really messy. But guess what? The cross was messy. That anytime there's going to be major transformation, anytime things are going to be made new, it will be messy and it will not be comfortable. But I ask you to go with me sometimes. It's going to feel weird sometimes, but we got to go through this journey. Second thing I would say to you is it, you have to resist the danger of a single story. I won't unpack that too much, but uh, I'll talk more in depth about that at SWU on Tuesday morning. So come to chapel and hear uh, more about that. Uh, the other thing is you have a 100% chance that you will eventually say something stupid. Not 90%, not 50%, not 25%, 100%. I was up in Toronto uh, sharing, and this amazing leader uh, had said this prayer in his his, uh, native tongue, and he came down off the altar, and and I greeted him and hugged him, and I knew that the the influx of diversity mostly in Toronto is from Southeast Asia, and so I referenced what I think is his ethnic background, and I come to find out that's not it. Foot and mouth, 100% chance. But I said, you know, I'm so sorry, man, I, I, so, because you will, you will have also a 100% chance that you will offend sometimes and you will be offended. So this is not about being all politically correct. It's about learning. It's about, it's about understanding that this is a process and that you mess up and, and to be authentic, not cosmetic, but to be authentic, we will have some conflict. And conflict often becomes a thing that helps us get beneath the surface. It becomes a means of grace for us to have deep relationships. It also brings up Shame, which is not from God. And there's a temptation to experience shame, but there's also the experience of pain. And more often than not, 
uh, people of color communities, that is their experience of pain, and more often than not, the white community uh, the, the, the experiences shame and guilt. But both realities, we have to be begin to give up control, and we have to come out of our comfort zones. As people of color, we have to learn to forgive more. As white folks, you have to learn to, to deal and push back the shame and deal with the conviction. If it's conviction coming from the Holy Spirit, just deal with it. But all of us have to deal with the issue of control, trying to control everything. I thought God was in control. Come on, say amen, somebody. So we'll have to extend a great deal of, of grace. Somebody shout grace during these conversations. So if we're honest, it, it, it has become a credibility issue for the church. Um, and, and those who are looking from the outside are concerned and they're cynical because they see our hypocrisy. Uh, I went out to, uh, I was speaking kind of like I am today and I was out uh, and I was hungry. I got off the plane, I was so hungry and I was looking for something to eat and everything was closed. And all of a sudden I see a Popeye's. Popeye's light was on. I was like, oh, I wheeled that ruler car into that Popeye's drive-thru, and I was like, ma'am, <laughs> if you just give me a two-piece, and, and, and I'm telling her, and she says, sir, 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 I am so sorry. We out of chicken. I said, ha! I thought, you so crazy. I thought I heard you say you out of chicken. She said, sir, we are out of, totally out of chicken, but we got that green, them green beans, we got them biscuits. I was like, ma'am, you Popeye's. How in the world are you going to be out of chicken? And here's the reality. If we're not careful, we'll be a church like that Popeye's, where we're supposed to be a place where reconciliation is at the heart of what we do, and people come to our church and they say, you know what? Popeye's, no chicken. Church that doesn't talk about or do the work of reconciliation. Popeye's, but no chicken. That is the challenge. And so what we must do is we must see, somebody say see, we must see this as discipleship rooted in God's word, as not only a diversity thing, but discipleship. We also have to be students of our community. Who's around us? Who is God sending? And we also have to build big relationships. Be willing to sit at people's feet who are different from you and learn from them. Share your heart and have relationships that I said before seeks to go beneath the surface. And if you are serious about this here, at times you will also find that people are going to leave. Some people are going to get excited, some people are going to get nervous, and some people are going to leave. But don't worry about everyone that leaves. You have to also get excited about who God is going to send because you're working through this. Because you have to learn and lead simultaneously. You'll have to build the bridge as you walk across it. People are going to get hurt sometimes because you're going to make rookie mistakes. People are going to get offended sometimes, but that's part of the process. And we have to build big relationships where the conflict is not bigger than the relationship. So come join us. Put your hand to the plow as we go on this journey. Uh, none of us have arrived, but some of us may have more experiences than the other people in the room. But let me come to a close because I'm almost out of time. It says here, I'm going to forego my third point, which is really, really about access. And if you want to go back and study that, that's in verses 17 and 18. But I want to get to this last part of the passage, 19 through 22, where it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the good news here is really meant to bring people together. We are no longer to be separated at the temple. This says we are the temple. 
In the ancient world, the church soon became uh, one of the only places where meaningful relationships crossed these kinds of lines and were sustained. Uh, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Let me just suggest there is no black Holy Spirit and white Holy Spirit. There is not one spirit for women and another one for men. There is not one for adults and a junior Holy Spirit for children. There's one spirit. Somebody shout one. One. There's one spirit and we are one family. And yes, we may have differences and those differences should be celebrated, but they should never take precedent over our oneness. We are to be joined together, this passage says, being built together for a divine purpose. And here's where I want to close. I want to say to you, racial reconciliation is a gospel issue because it is a salvation issue. Jesus' sacrifice was for all nations, all races of people. He made a way for all of us. Racial reconciliation is a social issue. Holiness is social because our God is social. Social holiness is the practice of obeying the greatest commandment. And then racial reconciliation is a finished, is finished in Christ. We don't finish this. Christ has already finished this. We are simply to pursue reconciliation on earth because of what Christ has done. Much like our salvation, we all go through the process called sanctification, where we are made more and more like Christ. Reconciliation is like it in a similar way. Christ has done his part. We must do ours by walking through the process of reconciliation with other people. For us, as a community of faith, racial reconciliation is not a leadership issue, not just a social issue, or even a diversity issue. It is a discipleship issue. And if you ever get concerned about, man, like we, we off track, we off message, it's really about two things. And this is what we said at the beginning. It's about reconciling people to God, that vertical relationship. It's about reconciling people to people. Living out the great commission in the spirit of the greatest commandment. May this community be willing to be as transformed by another person's experience as we want them to be transformed by ours. May we as a community be willing to lead from those difficult spaces. May we as a community prioritize our trust in God and each other over the tensions we may sometimes feel. And may we inevitably deal with the awkwardness and maybe even offensiveness to lead us to a place of true holiness. You are here and we are to be Christ's ambassadors, ministers of this word we call reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We know your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the thing whereinto you have sent it. And so help us to take this word in. Help us to receive what you want us to understand. And God, in those spaces where, man, it gets uncomfortable and we struggle and we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, help us to be reminded that we are to be still and know that you are God. Work in this community. Give us different ways, give us different on-ramps to to learn and to grow and to be challenged by this word. And may in the end, this community never be the same, this church never be the same, and the church never be the same. It's in the matchless name of Jesus.